Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you for worship today, and hello to all of you who are with us from many different locations watching online. Good to be with you as well. Really quickly, let me remind you that our next Steps class is this Wednesday night at 6.30. I give you my word. I give you Pastor Dave's word, he and I, in one hour. Can we do that? In one hour, give an overview of the history of this church. Um, our, Our ministries, introduce those to you. Talk about our vision and our mission and our affirmations, our denomination, our leadership structure, and more. So I don't know if you've been here for a short time, you've been a part of Redeemer for a long time, it's good information to know about your home church. Uh, But we also provide dinner and childcare, so in order to meet those two needs, we wanna know how many people to expect Wednesday nights, so please RSVP online, redeemertulsa.org slash next steps. More importantly, Friday was Veterans Day. I wanna take a moment in our service and honor those uh, brave women and men who have served this country. And uh, you are one of the many reasons that we're able to sit here right now and worship. So I'd like this church family to honor those of you who have served. Would you please stand to your feet if you've served this country? Would you pray with me, please? Father, today is a painful reminder for many families who have lost loved ones in the military, and we pray for those families now. We ask you to comfort their hearts today. And for the veterans here who just stood, they gave their best when they were called upon to serve and protect this nation. And we pray that you would bless them for their sacrifice and their service. For any who are silently suffering with emotional or mental scars, we pray for their peace. For any who have lingering physical pain from their service, we pray for their healing. Because of the courage of these women and men, we've been provided a safe place to live and to worship. So with gratitude, we say thank you and we lift them up to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So week four of examining the Lord's Prayer from Matthew six, so far we've covered the following phrases from the Lord's Prayer, and say it out loud with me if you are familiar with it. Verse nine, our Father in heaven. Say it out loud with me if you're familiar with it. Verse nine, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And today we've got a really fun one in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
This is such a familiar passage in the church, around this country, around this world. It is often recited in corporate worship settings as well as uh, pregame locker rooms all around the country today as teams get ready to play. But it goes smoothly as we recite this together until we get to this verse. And then we sort of mumble with this lack of confidence. Um, Father, forgive us as we forgive the, because we're waiting to see what is it? What is it that we need forgiveness for, right? What is my neighbor gonna say in church? So Presbyterian and Reformed traditions would say forgive us our debts. Anglican, Methodist, and Catholic traditions say forgive us our trespasses. And those influenced by the late 20th century liturgical movements would say forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. I'm opening with this not, not because it changes the Lord's Prayer in any way, but because it's interesting. And maybe you think it's interesting as well. The Greek, it's debt. Debt, debt, debt. Something owed, something due, a moral debt or obligation. But then English reformer William Tyndale came along who first translated the Hebrew and Greek Bible into English and he liked trespasses. <laughs> okay. Um, and then by 1611, translators of the King James Version went back to debts. Whether you prefer debts, Greek, trespasses, Tyndale, or sins, New Living Translation, remember this. They all represent the reality that we have committed a treasonous trespass and violated God. That's what they mean. We have all committed a treasonous trespass and violated God. Therefore, we are taught to pray, forgive us our debts. I mean, if we're gonna pray that, then we first need to acknowledge that we are in debt to God. We are saints, right? We, have, we are the royal priesthood. We read that in scripture. So if anybody says, you're just a bad sinner. No, you're not. You're a saint and you have a sin problem. You're a saint and you're still getting used to that new heart, that new self that Christ has purchased for you. But we have to understand that we are in debt to God if we're gonna pray this prayer. So ponder this with me. The moment we underestimate the grossness of sin, we undervalue the forgiveness of sin. If we fail to fully grasp how gross our sin is in the sight of God, then we're going to undervalue the price that he paid to purchase our forgiveness. Romans 6.23 tells us that that wage of sin is what? Death. So that means you can work hard your entire life for sin, and then when you go to get your pension, it's death. Fortunately, there is a free gift from God called eternal life only available and purchased through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. But still, I'm going to illustrate how gross our sin is because I think we need to acknowledge it. If we're praying, forgive us our debts, we need to acknowledge how gross our sin is in the eyes of God. So picture this with me. There's a man, he's tied to a pillar and flogged with sticks. 
Soldiers beat his back with a leather whip. And on the end of that whip were little iron balls and sheep bones that would tear into his flesh and cause horrendous bleeding and bruising. Every stroke removes flesh. And after a few lashes, the cuts reach muscle tissue. A crown of thorns, one and a half inches long, is not set on his head but pressed into his skull. He's forced to carry a cross with a cross beam that weighs 100 pounds, causing him to fall multiple times. He's stripped of his garments, not in order to make his death just gruesome, but also humiliating. Iron spikes seven inches in length are nailed through his wrists, through his feet, and he cries out in pain. His cross is lifted, and it gets so quiet that you can hear him struggling to breathe. His arms grow weaker, so he has to push his body up with his feet, putting all the pressure on that nail. The entire time you stand there and picture this, you're wondering, why is he not resisting? Why is he not fighting for his life? Well, it's because he was fighting for yours. And then you witness his death. As you collect your thoughts, you begin to leave and you notice the soldiers are approaching you. And they hand you Jesus' death warrant and a pen. And they say, we need your signature. Why would they need our signature? It's because our sins were the voices that were crying out that day, crucify him. It was our sins that were crying out, crucify him. We should never make the mistake of thinking that sin, although we wrestle with it, it's a mistake to think that sin defines us. The Bible tells us quite the opposite. 1 John 1, 9 promises that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yet, we should also not make the mistake of minimizing our sins. Right, back to the point earlier. If we minimize it, underestimate the grossness of our sin, we undervalue the forgiveness, the price that Christ paid to purchase us on behalf of the Father. Our sins are the reason he was crucified. And without Jesus Christ in our lives, sin has the power to lead us into evil and into despair and ultimately hell. That's why we pray, Father, forgive us our debts because it was us, our sin, our defiance, crying out that day, crucify him. Deep breath. 
All right, second part of the passage. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiving other people can be really, really hard. And we all know why. It's because we're perfect and they're not. I mean, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is it's hard to forgive because of our perfection and their imperfection, right? It's also equally difficult to admit when we're wrong. Look at this apology letter from Liam to Brody. Dear Brody, Miss P made me write you this note. All I want to say sorry for is not being sorry, because I tried to feel sorry, but I don't. (laughs) The apology earned Liam no points that day in class. The honesty earned him many points. But we can kind of relate, can't we? Okay, how important is it for us to learn how to forgive? To answer that, I want to look at a parable from Matthew chapter 18. It'll be on the screen, or you can turn there in your Bible, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Quick time out here. 10,000 bags of gold is an exceptionally large debt. So just for perspective, let's look at that according to modern day. A talent was the amount of weight that a soldier could carry on his back, so we're gonna say 75 pounds. If you multiply $1,000, the approximate cost of an ounce of gold today, by 16 ounces in a pound, then by 75 pounds in every talent, and then by 10,000 talents, that's the debt that this man owed to the master, that's the equivalent debt today of $12 billion. That's debt. That's the Powerball times six, right? I need to win it six times to pay off this debt. That's a lot of debt. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Look at this, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. If the silver coin is a denarii, that's about the equivalent of one day's wage at that time. So if it's 100, the guy owes him three and a half months worth of pay. Three and a half months worth of pay, 12 billion, you see the difference. He owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed them (laughs) and began to choke them. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant 
just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Listen, this is for you and me right here. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is how our heavenly father treats us unless we forgive our brother or sister from our heart. When someone has experienced the forgiveness of God, it becomes mandatory to forgive others. A few weeks ago, I preached about the kingdom of God from chapter six, verse 10, so let's connect that now with debts and debtors. There are no unforgiven or unforgiving people in the kingdom of God. There can't be, it's his kingdom. He's the king and he says to forgive, we gotta do things his way. There are no unforgiven or unforgiving people in the kingdom of God. I want you to think about Peter's question here. Lord, and sometimes when I read the gospels, I think Peter's showing off to the other disciples. They're all standing around and Peter's like, hmm. Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who's hurt me, offended me, wronged me, gossiped about me, lied to me, stolen from me, etc.? Lord, seven? As if that impresses Jesus? And Jesus says what? No, not seven, but 77 times. And he was providing this theological framework that his disciples then and now must exercise boundless, limitless, endless forgiveness. Jesus was not suggesting that we carry around a pad of paper and a pen. Like, Dave, that's the 55th time that I have forgiven you. Careful. You need to make some changes because 77's getting close. Jesus isn't saying that all of a sudden you sit down with your loved one, your spouse, your child, your friend, your colleague, your boss, and you say, wow, according to my um, record, that was the 77th. I don't have to forgive you again. Get out of my life, right? We, we, don't, we don't keep count like that. So in relation to Peter's question, here's four things about forgiveness. In relation to his question, here's the first. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Forgiveness, it's not about keeping score. It's about losing count. If you have been keeping tally marks in your brain or in a note on your phone, wherever your tally marks are, of the many times that you've forgiven someone or maybe you feel like you've out-forgiven someone, right? Like if you keep tallies of how many times you've forgiven them, then you know if they've forgiven you less, right? Stop it. It's not healthy. It's not Christ-like. Put that on the altar today. Forgiveness is not a competition. So don't keep score, lose count. Number two. Forgiveness is not denial or tolerance. If you've been hurt or offended or abused, Jesus is not asking you when he says to forgive. He's not saying, I want you to pretend like it never happened. He's not saying, I want you to continue to let it happen. 
He's also not saying, I want you to forgive this person, and by forgiving this person, it suggests that that person is right for how they harmed you. No, it's, it's about forgiveness, not denial or tolerance. He also does not want you to continue in an abusive relationship. You can forgive someone without their apology. You know this. They don't have to rehearse and come and deliver the most beautiful apology to deserve your forgiveness. You forgive because Christ forgave you, and then if you need to discontinue that relationship because it's unhealthy or unsafe for you, discontinue the relationship. But do so after forgiveness. Number three, forgiveness is not always instantaneous. Some hurts hurt deeper than other hurts. And you've experienced these. So it's not like right now you tell me something that you're really wrestling with and I'm like, okay, I'll call you in 10 days and check in, right? And I wanna make sure you've forgiven that person a week and a half. No, it's not instantaneous. So it could take time, it could take a season. It is often a process and that process can also require great levels of vulnerability which means getting around your Christian community and actually admitting what's going on and not pretending like life is perfect. Talking with your small group, talking in women's Bible study, men's fellowship, talking with your trusted friends, talking with a counselor, talking with a therapist. It's a process, it's not always instantaneous. Four, forgiveness is an investment in you. It's an investment in yourself. So we don't forgive others because they've done something to deserve it. We forgive because Christ forgave us and because resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness can become cancerous to our souls. To keep a grudge is to take a big swig of poison and hope it kills the other person that you're mad at. No, it's you. It's you that's in danger. I think this translates to everyone here. By a show of hands, have you ever kept a grudge? So great, 50% of this church are truth tellers. That's great. <laughs> Thank you for your transparency. Here's some pastoral advice moving forward. Don't hold grudges. Don't do it. It's not healthy. Perhaps you've heard the following quote from author and professor from Fuller Seminary, Lewis Smeeds, who said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner was you. One final thought on Matthew 6, 12. I hate parsing Greek verbs. I would rather watch paint dry on a wall. I don't enjoy it, but in this case, it's truly enlightening as it shows more and more about what Jesus was saying. The tense of the Greek verb for have forgiven is aorist, active, indicative. Past tense. So another way of reading Matthew 6, 12 is as follows. Father, please forgive me for the many sins that I have committed, but before asking for your forgiveness, I have already forgiven those who have sinned against me. Before asking you, Jesus, for your forgiveness, I have already forgiven those who have sinned against me. What a wonderful demonstration of our love for Christ, our spiritual discipline, 
and our spiritual maturity, that when we come to him for forgiveness, we've already, past tense, forgiven others. Beautiful. To close, I wanna share a story of forgiveness that has had a profound impact on my life. I've traveled many times to Rwanda, and every time I've been to Rwanda, I've gone to the uh, genocide memorial, the 1994 genocide where Hutus and Tutsis slaughtered one another, slaughtered best friends, neighbors in the streets, I believe over 90 days, and just under a million people were murdered. The stories that I've heard there are haunting, but do you know what has revitalized this nation? What the Rwandan people have said is revitalizing this nation, the power of forgiveness. Inconceivable stories of pain and suffering and hate, and I've sat with men and women and heard them myself. These have been replaced by powerful stories of forgiveness, reconciliation. Immaculee Iligabiza wrote a book called Left to Tell, in which she shares her captivating survival story. And she writes about visiting her hometown long after the genocide had ended. She met the man who murdered her mother and her brother. So she writes, his name is Mudatali, he was sobbing, I could feel his shame, and he looked up at me only for a moment, but our eyes met. I reached out, I touched his hand gently, and quietly said what I had come to say. I forgive you. The guard present that day spoke up. What was that all about, Immaculee? That was the man who murdered your family. I brought him to you so that you could question him or spit on him if you wanted, but you forgave him. How could you do that? Why did you forgive him? And she answered, forgiveness is all I have to offer. Forgiveness is all I have to offer. If you harbor unforgiveness in your heart today, this sermon is particularly for you. Ask the Holy Spirit today to help you forgive that person. Bob Goff says that grace isn't always fair until you need some. And maybe there's somebody in your life that needs your grace. I would also encourage you, if this is your story, to forgive yourself. What a tragedy if Christ has purchased your forgiveness on the cross and God has given you this abundant grace and another person that you've hurt has forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself. God's grace is enough, amen? God's grace is enough, so no more self-condemnation. If you need to start the process today of being free from that cancerous unforgiveness, start that process with a prayer as we worship. If you are a prisoner, behind the bars of resentment and bitterness. Christ is handing you the key. Turn the key and get on out of that prison. Because when you do, you can pray with confidence. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Say that with me. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Amen.
Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.